Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read one verse. Verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner, or it's able to see between or recognize the separation between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Amen. I want to, from this verse, speak for, I was going to say probably not too long, but I don't want to make myself a liar, so I'll say speak for a while. You can determine how long a while is. But I want to speak about the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Amen. This verse of Scripture lets us know that God's Word is not simply something that you have in the house as a family heirloom. Some people have Bibles that have been in their families for many years. Some people have family Bibles that take two men to carry. They're so big. There's nothing wrong with having those things. But the Word of God is more than simply something we keep as a keepsake. It is alive. It is powerful. It is not something that is just a historical volume, but it has life within it. Even the Lord himself said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And this verse of scripture that the author of Hebrews has penned tells us that God's word is so powerful. It is so alive that it is able to get between things that we cannot get between. It is able to separate and to discern and understand between things that we cannot understand the differences between things that while we may be aware of we can talk about the soul and the spirit and we can discuss what each of those terms refers to but actually being able to put them into two nicely separated boxes is very hard for us but God's word is able to get between the soul and the spirit he's able to get between the joints and the marrow if you've ever seen a bone that has been sliced, you know that there is the hard exterior that we refer to as the bone and within there is that marrow which is soft and there is a relationship between those two. Life is happening within something that is hard. There is life within inside that bone, but we can see both of them. But because of the intimate nature of the relationship between marrow and joint or marrow and bone, it's hard for us to exactly say where the line is. But God's Word, is so powerful and so alive that it can get right down into those things that are difficult for us to discern. Even the final point of the verse is to be able to separate our thoughts, the things that we think, the things that we meditate upon from our intent, or in other words, what's going on in our hearts that causes us to think in a particular way. See, so often we just think they're thoughts we have, but thoughts are a product of something. Thoughts are often generated and produced by what's going on at a deeper spiritual level within us. And we don't often, we, we don't say, well, that's how I'm feeling, so that's why I'm thinking this. We see the two as one. But the Word of God, it tells us, is able to get between the two. And ultimately, it is the heart that is God's target. It is your heart and my heart that God is aiming at when He gave us His Word. Too many people think that the Word of God, the Bible and Christianity is a book given to tell us what people should and should not do. 
And there is that element of it. There is a way that God wants us to live. There is a way God does not want us to live. That is certainly contained within the pages of His Word. But it is not simply a guide to healthy living or a guide to Christian conduct or how to live a holy and a righteous life. It is designed and given to us that it would affect us at a much deeper level. That it would not simply change our conduct, but it would change the who and the how and the why of our conduct. The reason that we do the things that we do. And I'm glad that we have God's Word. I'm glad that it gives me instruction. I'm glad that there is instruction in there for my marriage, for my family, for my attitude towards society and my job and the law and people on the street. It's all contained in these pages. But the Word of God is put in our hands not for those reasons alone. But it is given to us that God in His power would be able to get right down to the very identity of who I am and who you are and transform that. Because if all we ever do is change our behavior, if all I ever do is change the places I go, the things that I say, the way that I look, I'm still just on the outside. But His Word says that it is alive that it is powerful and He wants to get right down to the very reason that I think the way that I think. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ did not go to Calvary to give me a behavioral manual, to put a book in my hands that would say, here's how to be a nice person. There are people out there that do not believe in God that can tell you how to be a nice person. They can teach you about manners. They can teach you about compassion and caring for others. But they cannot teach you how to change your heart. Because only God gets to the heart of the matter. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. It's wicked. Now, we don't like to acknowledge that we have a wicked heart and sometimes what we understand that to mean is a little bit different from the actual intention of the Scripture. It does not mean that every person is a criminal, every person is a murderer, every person hates people and is unkind and does nasty things to other people. That's not what it's talking about. It's simply referring to the fact that deep within our makeup there is sin, that our nature, our human nature is corrupt, it is carnal, And it is sinful. And you might be the nicest person that lives in your street. This is not what it's about when it says the heart is wicked. But it's saying that within us is a desperate need for salvation. And every single one of us, the nice people you know, the people that aren't nice that you know, are all sinners. And the consequences of sin, the Bible makes it very clear, is death. And separation from God. And so God is not interested in simply giving you and I a makeover. He will change the external of your life, but that is secondary to Him. Too often to us, that is primary. The prophet Samuel went to the house of Jesse and said, bring your boys in. I'm going to anoint somebody to be the next king of Israel. And all these tall, handsome, muscular, strong young men came in and lined up before the prophet. And the prophet was a little bit slow to learn what God was trying to teach him because he saw the oldest son. He said, this has got to be him. He looks the real deal. And the Lord said, nope, 
and down through that family. We know the story. Down through those sons of Jesse, each time God said, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. He said to Samuel, man looks on the outside. He said, but God looks on the heart. And they brought that runt of a little brother in from looking after the sheep in before his older brothers. They didn't even consider him worth an invitation. But something in the heart of that young shepherd boy, as insignificant as he was, God said, that's my man. That's the one I'm looking for. Because God cares about the heart of the matter today. Hallelujah. I don't misunderstand me. Please don't go out of here and say, the pastor said it doesn't matter what I do or how I look or where I go or how I behave. That is completely false. But if we are not transformed at the level of our heart, then all of that other stuff is just chaff. It's a waste. I can take you to people that I know that are good people in how I measure goodness. They're kind. They're compassionate. They'll go out of their way for other people. They'll sacrifice. They'll do things. They'll give. It doesn't mean that they're righteous. It means they're good in the sight of humanity. We've got to be careful that we don't make the mistake that Samuel made and look upon the outward appearance of a person and not upon their heart because what's going on down deep is what God is interested in. The heart of the matter. So if my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, what hope do I have? The Bible says prophetically in the book of Ezekiel that he wants to give us a new heart. He wants to take out that stony heart and he wants to bring in a heart of flesh, something that is soft, something that he can work with, something that he can transform. Even that young shepherd boy, when he became the king and he fell into sin, he knew where his heart was at. That's why he prayed and said, God, create in me a clean heart. David knew that he had sinned. He knew that he was wicked. He knew he'd violated God's confidence in him and the covenant that he had with God. He didn't say, God, I'm sorry, it was someone else's fault. It wasn't my responsibility. He said, God, change my heart. We've got to be responsible for our own hearts today. To bring them to Him. God looks at our hearts. God wants to change our hearts. He wants to transform us into something that is living from the inside out. Christianity is simply just the reasons we don't do things. Then it is not what Jesus intended it to be. You know, the Bible does tell us that there are some that are saved by fear. And I would suggest being afraid of going to hell is a very sensible fear to have. I do not want to go to hell. I do not want to spend eternity in a place where I'm separated from the presence of God and constantly suffering and reminded of the choices that I make. I do not want to go to that place. And I don't want anybody here to go to that place. But beyond me, the Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish. That means that God does not want a single one of us to go to hell. And if it takes a little fear to get me across the line into heaven, then I'm willing to be afraid. But let me tell you this, fear will not keep you. Fear of hell will not keep you where God wants you to be. Something has to happen at the level of your heart. Something has to happen where it's not just I'm afraid of going to hell, but I want to please Him. 
I want to love him. I want him to change me and to be the person that he wants me to be and to give him glory and honor. And I know my heart is wicked. And so like David, I've got to get down on my knees again and again and say, God created me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit, Lord God. Don't take your spirit from me, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's never been about what I can do with my heart. It's been about what He can do with my heart. All I have to do is give it to Him. Book of Genesis, around about the fourth chapter, I believe it is. Cain and Abel bring sacrifice to the Lord. First two siblings, first murderer, great start to the human race. First two brothers, they bring offerings unto the Lord and we know the story of how Abel brought of the flock, he brought of his sheep, he brought a lamb, he offered it unto the Lord, and Cain brought vegetables that he'd grown and offered them to the Lord. And the Bible very specifically says that God had not respect unto Cain's offering, but also says that he had not respect unto Cain. Because even though Cain's sacrifice was not the right model, it was the heart of the matter. The fact that Cain brought something that he knew was not what God required was, meant that his actions reflected what was going on within him. And that's why his sacrifice was rejected. I've always found it sobering to consider that murder, the first murder recorded in human history in the Word of God, began with corrupt worship. It began with worship that was not acceptable to God. It lets us know what can happen when your heart is not right. When you come and present yourself and say, everything's fine, I'm just going to worship God and raise my hands and lift my voice and everybody's going to think that my sacrifice is fine. But when your heart is not right, you may not stab somebody literally or hit them with a rock or whatever Cain did, but in your heart there can become hatred for your brethren when your worship is corrupt. God searches our hearts. He knows what's going in, on within our hearts. And it is at that level that it matters. You know, I got to thinking about the Lord during His earthly ministry. I can't find anywhere, and you can help me afterwards if I'm wrong. I don't find anywhere in the Gospels that Jesus told anybody that He loved them. I don't see Peter, you know, when Peter was feeling sorry for himself after the resurrection. You don't see Jesus put His arm around Peter and say, That's all right, Peter, I love you. I don't see that anywhere. Jesus, but there is no doubt that Jesus loved them. But every time we think about the Lord's ministry and His time on the earth, He demonstrated His love. When He saw the sick, when He saw the demon possessed, when He saw the lepers, nowhere do you read He says, well, I love you, God bless you, brother. The Bible says He laid His hands upon them. He healed them. He had compassion that was born out of his heart. And what was going on in the heart of God manifest in the flesh caused him to minister to somebody. So when our hearts are in the right place, it's, I believe in telling people you love them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But it should be demonstrated. It should be expressed. I live the way that I live. I choose to serve God and live a separate life, not because just because I'm getting afraid of going to hell. No, no. I do it because I want to please Him, because I love Him, and I want to give Him glory and honor. It's got to come from within my heart. Every morning when I wake up, I wish I could tell you that the first thing I thought was I love Jesus. More often than not, the first thing I think about when I wake up is coffee. 
forgive me, I'm human. But the way I choose to live day in, day out needs to be a product of what's happening in my heart. Love will cause us to live this way. Love will cause us to separate ourselves from the world. Love will cause us to do the things that please God. Not because this book's given us rules, but because I love Him, because He first loved me. That's where it's got to happen. If it's not happening there, we need to allow the Lord to transform us. And one of the, there, there are a lot of things that God has done in His wisdom that don't make sense to me. I don't say that disrespectfully. I'm, it's really a confession of how small my intellect is compared to His. I don't understand why God would make humanity knowing that it would fail. I've never really, it's a concept that's hard for me to grasp. Why make something you know is going to be broken? Surely if you, if you knew, it's, not, it's like if one of you ladies or some of you men that might venture into the kitchen every once in a while, if you knew that a recipe was not going to work, would you make that cake? If you thought, yeah, every time I make this, it never turns out, would you make it again? I hope not. If you do, something's wrong. But when the Lord created man in his own image, he knew before Adam was ever a living, breathing soul, he knew that Adam would fail him. And before he ever failed him, God already had a plan to redeem him. And that's, you see, that's at a level of love that is hard for us to comprehend. Because we are so, for us so often it's cause and effect. Love is a response to love that we receive. But His love goes, it's extended regardless of whether we respond. Another thing I don't understand about the Lord is why He gave humanity choice. Now, I do understand, don't, or you theologians, don't put your hands up and say, I'll explain it. Because choice is possibly the most powerful thing in the universe. One of the most powerful things we have is choice. And humanity is the only part of creation that has choice at the level that we do. Animals can choose what to kill, what to eat, where to sleep, that sort of stuff. But humanity has an incredible power of choice. And historically, we've done a really, really lousy job of making choices. Mankind time and time again throughout history has made the wrong choice. Again, and again, and yet God gives us choice. We understand why He gives us choice. It's because He wants us to love Him. And if there is no free will, there cannot be love. As a dictator, as an omnipresent, omnipotent God, He could force us to do certain things. He could impose His will upon us regardless of whether we agree with it or not. He could say, this is how you're going to live and force us to live that way. He could say, you will do this, you won't do that, and we would have no choice. But as much as we might conform, and as much as we might all line up like little soldiers and be everything that we're supposed to be, the heart of the matter is unchanged. And because He wants us to love Him, He gives us choice. We need to understand what the world thinks love is, is not love. Love involves decisions. 
We choose love. Now, I'm not saying that, you, you know, that we use the expression fall in love like it's an accident. And I guess sometimes it is an accident and sometimes the outcomes of that are also an accident. But, but love involves your will and choice. And then it will change the way that you behave. 17th of April, 2000, not 2000, I'm, getting, I'm younger than I think. 17th of April, 1992, I met my wife at National Youth Camp in Collaroy in the northern beaches of New South Wales. My life was changed forever. Now, I went to that youth camp with no intention of speaking to girls because we all know, gentlemen, that they're trouble. And all the men said amen. Except you married men. I hope you didn't say amen. <laughs> We're going to have to pray for you. But once I met my wife and began to develop a friendship which developed into a serious friendship, the way that I felt about her impacted my behavior. And the thing is, if I wanted her to believe that I loved her, I had to be able to demonstrate it. If I just said, yeah, I love you, but I never got in touch, I never remembered anything that was important, I never... You've got to remember, I come from the time a long time ago where there was no such thing as emails or text messages or any of that kind of stuff. We had to do things old school. You had to write with a pen on paper. You had to fold that up, put it in an envelope, and put a stamp on it. And instead of taking three seconds to get there, it took three days to get there. Now, if I said to her, yes, I love you, I'll write, and I never wrote... I'd be like a lot of guys because some guys are really bad at that sort of stuff. But my actions would not demonstrate what I said. What I'm trying to say is something has to happen at the heart. Now, I don't write to my wife much anymore because we live in the same house. She writes to me sometimes. When you go out today, these are the things I need you to pick up. It's not quite the same relationship, but the way that I live today with my wife, is a product of my love for my wife. When I get up in the morning, again, same parallel, I'm thinking about coffee. When I get up in the morning, I don't automatically feel love for my wife or my family. Now, if you feel like that every moment you open your eyes, wonderful. But you don't always feel, you don't always bounce out of bed feeling love for your spouse. In fact, depending on the conversation the night before, you may be feeling something not even close to love when you wake up in the morning. And all the married people know what we're talking about. But my actions that day when I get up and the next day and the next day are a product of what's happening in my heart. I do the things that are boring, the mundane things, the taking care of business, the making sure things are sorted out. And we do all those things because of love. We need to understand when we serve God, and when you first receive the Holy Ghost, it's all, it's, it's like falling in love with Jesus. You're filled with the Spirit, the joy of the Lord fills your soul. It's awesome. But then you've got to begin to walk with Him. You've got to begin to serve Him. And if you're going to say, I love, He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so if I'm going to say I love Jesus, I've got to demonstrate that. And so when I choose, you know, today, I'm not going to the casino. I'm not going to blow the rent money this week. 
Today, I'm not going to go and get drunk. Today, I'm not going to go and spend time with somebody that's going to drag me away from the Lord. When you make those decisions, they seem to be practical, but they're actually actions of love. It's you demonstrating something that has happened at the level of your heart. Amen. If, if your husband or your wife was going out late at night and having coffee with a person of the other sex, you ought to be concerned. It doesn't mean anything's happening that shouldn't be happening. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but their actions do not demonstrate where their heart is at. And people say, well, you can't judge me. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Yes, you were. You were making a really dumb choice. And it's the same when we serve God. People say, well, I don't have to do this. I don't like rules. I don't like it when people say this. And I don't like it when people say that. If all they are is rules, I understand that. But if something's happening at the level of our heart, then we want to please God. You know, the Bible, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Does that mean there were no requirements? No, no. He said, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's a pretty big requirement. But when it's born out of our hearts, then it's not hard to do. There are things you do when you're in love with somebody. And I'm not going to head into soppy land this morning, so don't get nervous, Cassandra. But there are things that you will do that will interfere with your life, that will inconvenience you that will cause you to have to sacrifice some other things. But because something's happening at the level of your heart, you will do those things. You know, I was never, I never had, actually once in my life I think I had a pen pal. It didn't last very long. But when it came to writing to my wife, it came from my heart. Do I like writing? No, not very much. You can barely even read my handwriting. But there was something happened at the level of my heart that became demonstrated. To the point that at one stage, my wife and I had three letters a week going up and down from North Queensland to Victoria. Each, three each a week. It used to get confusing as to which letter was replying to which letter. But that was, you know, it wasn't hard. If if somebody said to me now, I want you to sit down and write three letters a week to Chi Chi. I'd be like, seriously? What am I going to say? What am I going to talk about? What do I have that Chi-Chi wants to know about three times a week? Because that relationship is not the same. And Chi-Chi and I can talk, we get together, we have coffee. That's not a problem. But because something's going on at a heart level, it doesn't seem to be a problem. You read the Old Testament, read the story, terrible story, but a lot of lessons about Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Jacob is just a nasty piece of work. He's a messed up kid. He ends up at his uncle's house, falls in love with this young lady who he thinks is adorable, and he says, I'll work for seven years for her hand in marriage. Any of you men ever make that promise? Seven years? And, but the Bible says that to him it just seemed like a few days. Why? Because something was happening in his heart. Now we know what happened when he got married. His father-in-law tricked him up and married him to the sister that wasn't the one that he was in love with and you can read that yourself in the book of Genesis but the point is his actions because they came out of a heart that was full of love you know we would think seven years that's like you know that's a long time but because he was in love 
because something had changed at the level of his heart, it was just a moment of time because of what happened at his heart. You know, when we serve God, when we serve the Lord, we think about things like commitment. We think about things like consecration. We think about things like faithfulness and getting to services and getting to prayer meetings and getting to youth and getting to men's and getting to ladies. We think about all those things and we, you know, at a surface level, they seem like they're inconvenient. But when something's happening at the level of our hearts, we want to be at everything that God is doing. You might say, well, God, is this, you know, it's the church, it's not God. I could challenge you to say this, they're the same thing. To the point that if we had services more, I would be there. Not because I'm the pastor. Some people say, well, you're the pastor, you have to be there. Somebody said to me once, oh, that's your job. No, sorry, it's not my job. It's something I want, it was something I used to do before I was ever a pastor before I was ever a minister, before I was ever any position, because something happens at the level of our hearts. And you watch new people. When people come in and they get freshly born again, they want to be at every single thing that's going on. Everything. Because something's happened at the level of their heart. And you're willing to inconvenience yourself. In fact, you don't even see it as an inconvenience. You know, we, my wife and I moved here in 1997. People have said to us through the years, what a sacrifice to move across the country. You know, that never even crossed our mind. We weren't sacrificing. We've been involved in the kingdom of God. We didn't, didn't really cost us anything. A few tanks of petrol between Cairns and Perth, I can tell you. But it was just because in our hearts, we love the Lord. We want to do what God wants us to do. It's not hard. But if your involvement in anything that requires commitment and faithfulness is just seems so hard, you need to have a look at what's happening at the heart of the matter. Now people say, well, you know, well, I go to church, you know, when I feel like I'm supposed to go, when the Lord shows me when it's convenient. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says you don't forsake it. And here's the thing. I, I've encouraged, taught, chastised tried every package I can to communicate to people the importance of being in God's house. But it doesn't matter whether I'm the most eloquent preacher on the face of this earth until something happens at the level of your heart. No change is going to take place. Something's got to happen in our hearts. Otherwise, what we did, because you know, I didn't always sit up here. I used to sit down there. And I'd sit down in church, particularly when I was a young person, I knew everything. And I'd sit down here, and, and as soon as the pastor started to get serious, I just zoned out. Here he goes again. Is he back on the good stuff? Okay, he's back on the good stuff. I'm back in. Why? Because there was nothing happening at the level of my heart. I was in church because in my house, you went to church. It wasn't something that I was... There was never any offer to negotiate that situation with my mother. Some of you know my mother. You understand that. Church was just church. Now, my dad wasn't saved. And if I was a very, very foolish young man, I could have gone to my father and said, I don't want to go to church today. And he would have said, fine, stay home with me. But I knew that if I chose that pathway, I was going to have an experience that made me afraid of going to hell shortly afterwards. 
And so I'm glad that my mother dragged my rebellious carcass to the house of the Lord every week because by getting me there, she knew that if I was in His presence, that if I heard His word, that there was a much better chance of something happening at the level of my heart. And that's why you need to be in God's house because God wants to operate at the level of our hearts. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. God wants to, you know, everything we do, if it's not coming from our hearts, not coming from our hearts, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands from I feel the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, I worship Second epistle of Timothy, chapter 4, a very, very well known portion of Scripture. The Apostle Paul knows that the end of his life is drawing near. And uh, in what I think is his last communication with the younger man, he says those famous words He says, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Comes from it's at the level of our heart. It's the heart of the matter. Am I looking for Jesus? Because in the immediate next two verses, he said to Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And then he said, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Two loves written about here. One is his appearing, and the other one is this present world. And the two cannot coexist. You cannot serve two masters. You can't, the Bible says you'll either love the one and hate the other. It's either the Lord or it's the world. But again, it's got to happen at the level of our hearts. Something has to happen at the level of our hearts. You know, it shouldn't take somebody to try to convince us. I'm not talking about people that don't know the Lord. I'm talking about those of us that are born again. It shouldn't take somebody encouraging, exhorting, begging, pleading, beseeching us to be at prayer meetings and services and get, getting together with brethren of like precious. It should come from within us. It should be the heart of the matter. Because there's the, if otherwise it's constantly there's that that tug, that trying to persuade people. But it should come from within us. I remember what he did for me and why he came and that his whole purpose was to change my heart. 
Bless the Lord. Let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord for a moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. <clears throat> you know, I believe God wants us to live right. I believe he wants us to be holy and separated from this world. We need to put aside the works of the flesh. We need to live a righteous life and live within certain boundaries and certain standards. I don't have a problem with that. But all of that, all of that is structure. All of that is like a house. It's, it's a building. It's a fence. It's a property. But if there's, if there's no life in the home, if there isn't somebody living within that house... And it's all just an empty shell. That's why Jesus got to the point of the Lord in the Old Testament said, I don't want any more sacrifices. I don't want any more lambs and bullocks and goats and sheep and oxen. He said, because you're doing all this stuff. You're bringing it to the temple. You're doing all this stuff. He said, your mouth is saying the right words, but your heart is far from me. Jesus, the Lord wasn't teaching Israel, don't worry about sacrifice, don't worry about worship, do whatever you want, worship idols, break all the law. He wasn't saying that. He said all those things matter. He said, but if it's not coming from the heart and it's empty, that famous chapter that so often gets read at weddings says, if I don't have charity, I'm like an empty drum or a cymbal. I make a lot of noise. I can, people can hear me, but there's nothing on the inside. It's the heart of the matter. Hallelujah. That is the big difference between the gospel and everything this world has to offer. Everything the world offers can change you materially, can change you educationally. It might help you to be more informed. It might even change some of your habits and give you a better focus on the kind of person you think you want to be. But only the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform your heart. Only God can change our hearts. And there is not one of us whose heart is so far gone that God cannot reach in and change it. He can take out that heart. That's why in that same chapter of Hebrews it says, Harden not your hearts. Don't harden your hearts, but bring them unto the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Bless the Lord. I wasn't going to have an altar call this morning, but since the stinker, I think we might need you on the piano, please. Hallelujah, Jesus. I would that in an attitude of prayer this morning, we would just allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts. The one that tries our hearts, the Bible says. That knows the thoughts and the intent. Hallelujah. That just as Jesus stood before that rich young ruler, was able to look into that young man's heart, that we would allow his presence to look right into the very essence of who we are and say, God, search me. God, you know exactly where my heart is at. Lord God, change me. Create in me a clean heart. 
renewing me a right spirit. God, don't take your presence from me, Lord God, but I pray that at the heart of the matter that you would change us, that you would transform us, Lord. You did not go to Calvary, Lord, just to change my outside, Lord, just to make my life clean and righteous, but, Lord, you came to change my heart, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.